Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We have obeyed the will of the people. We've taken back the tools of self-government. I thought I was the patron saint of lost causes, and then along came the Daily Express. We got the result we didn't want, and that's it, and we have to accept that. This lesson is, and that we have to learn from Brexit, is to deeply reform the union. We will always love you, and we will never be far. Long live Europe. Hello, welcome to Brexit, the final countdown. I'm Peng Ting and Dave's future wife, Becca Hudson. Hello. 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 Is that David Cameron we're talking about? <laughs> Uh, and this week I'm overjoyed to be joined by newly initiated grime fan Paul Baldwin. Hello. Hello. Hi. You also happen to be the head of news for express.co.uk. No, but mainly grime. But mainly grime. And we have our man in Brussels, Joe Barnes. Hello. Do I get to say yo? <laughs> oh, God. Is that, is that a big shout out? Oh, no. This is, <laughs> this is not the tone I wanted for the podcast. Uh, we've got 316 days until the end of the transition period. Let's see if we can last the rest of the podcast without making any heinous grime references, shall we? Okay. Lego. <laughs> Okay, Brexit klaxon, chaps. Things have finally got a little bit punchy on Monday night when the UK negotiator David Frost gave a talk in Brussels where he pretty categorically ruled out those level playing field requests that the EU have been insisting on. Um, in response, the EU has toughened its position in an updated version of its negotiating mandate, which is now asking for level playing field that will stand the test of time, which to the uninitiated or even to the initiated sounds a lot like dynamic alignment, doesn't it? Which would mean an ongoing commitment to us maintaining standards between the UK and the EU. It sounds exactly like what we don't want. Doesn't it? Exactly. Spoiler alert. Uh, David Frost used this beautiful analogy that Britain, as part of the EU, was more like a guest at a party who'd had enough and was trying to find a way to slip out. I think that was a reasonable analogy. I think this week we've uh, heard the sound of a lot of pennies dropping across the other side of the channel. What would, what, what, that a, we are, a euro coin? That, that we are, well, the euro, yeah. yeah. But that, that we are out, we're gone, we're done, we're sayonara. It, this is Brexit, and Brexit is finally going to mean Brexit. Mm. And one of the, one of the most... You, you, how did you not get this? The um, the idea that we're going to be a competitor. Well, yeah, that was what Frost... That's what um, yeah. David Frost was saying. That's kind of the entire point. It, it, it feels like it was the point, and it doesn't feel like that we've just revealed that. No, no absolutely. But, but that's what I'm saying. But like, <laughs> exactly. that, that's what I'm saying. Pennies, pennies dropping across Europe. Like, uh, well, you know, oh my God, they uh, meant it. Absolutely. And then we've seen uh, Michel Barnier has dismissed a kind of our, just, you know, our kind of demand for a sort of Canada-style trade deal, uh, warning that it breaches previous commitments made by the British government to the EU. Joe, decode all this for us. I mean, yeah, is it kind of? shock and awe over in Brussels that, that this is this was always the plan? Or is everyone just sizing up to one another? I generally think the toughening on both sides of the channel represents kind of a powerful anger with each other and almost a misunderstanding. So um, with, with the level playing field, which basically means Britain has to kind of align and not cut standards in kind of environmental workers' rights, um, like the product side, the goods uh, standards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously the UK doesn't want to basically stay under the Brussels rule book because, as David Frost said, that we want to go and be a sovereign nation. And his speech uh, was all about sovereignty. It's we, after we leave the transition period at the end of the year, we will be a sovereign nation, an equal trading partner, 
and let's do a deal on that foot. And so, as you said, Becca, what the UK is asking for is a Canada-style trade deal, which does have some level, like playing field provisions in there, but they're more fair and free competition. It's not ECJ, not European judges, not kind of EU rules, dynamically aligned, etc. Um, and but then quite disingenuously, a while ago, Michel Barnier had this slide show that he used to show people. And it would take you down the different routes of trade options. It would start with EU membership at the top, and then it would go to no deal at the bottom. But one of those, and it would basically cut out of Britain's red lines, but it basically said a Canada deal was on offer. But now, I Mr. Obama he said it was the only thing on offer, didn't he? It, with that, in, in 2017, with this slide that number 10 is well, it, punting around at the moment. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, it's, um, it was the only thing on offer, given the UK's kind of red lines of leaving the customs union, leaving the single market having no ECJ jurisdiction. Um, but actually now what he's arguing for is that because Britain is so close, just a few kind of miles across the channel from Calais, that we should actually have an enhanced level playing field provision, which is, goes beyond what's in the Canada deal, what's beyond in its deal with Japan, what's beyond its deal with South Korea. So quite rightly, um, I think people in Downing Street are absolutely livid with him. So in 2017, when it was useful for Barnier to use Canada as, to, to help dismiss or, or diss uh, Theresa May's red lines, he, he said, just for clarity, that the only thing on offer is a Canada-style trade deal. And yesterday he said the only thing not on offer <laughs> is a Canada-style trade deal. Is that roughly where we are? Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. So basically, because what, um, what the slide was originally used to kind of scare Theresa May yeah. and yeah. Well, Oliver it Robbins. Robbins. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Canada-style trade deal has never really been on offer because of what well, now we can realise that the EU are asking far more. So Canada doesn't share its fisheries with the EU. Um, it doesn't have a great level playing field. It's not asking for Quebec to be given back to France or mm. um, kind of the Elgin's marbles to be returned, the equivalent of, <laughs> of which more later. Yeah, of, every year there's a row about these sodding marbles. <laughs> yeah, I've lost my marbles. Yes. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Joe, carry on. So no, so it's a, so you're, you're, like the EU has gone well further than anything. Uh, sorry, that's probably a bit of a grime reference. Far further <laughs> than anything that is in Canada. Um, and yeah, as I said, that people are quite rightly angry about this. And um, I think it's teeing up quite nicely for the first week of March when the formal trade negotiations are due to start. Do Do you think that uh, it seems to me that David Frost seems an eminently reasonable, mild-mannered soul? But I get the feeling that his speech may become a sort of definitive part of Brexit because I think he's what he, what he was saying was that the, the, these are not negotiating positions; these are the kind of existential heart of, of where Britain stands and what Britain wants to be. And and that was the first time it seems to me that that it was it was it was set out clearly, um, rather eloquently, and in a, in a very black and white kind of way. This, this is not a start of negotiations. This is what we are. This is yeah. what we're doing. Right? That's really interesting you say that because he also sort of spoke a bit about kind of the Eurosceptic movement in general, didn't he? And, he? and he said to them, you know, Brexit wasn't a kind of freak, horrible accident. You know, this, is, this has been the culmination of kind of our reticence to be involved with the European project for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't something that's going to get overturned in 10 years by a, you know, a bunch of Remainers. This, yeah, like the, the quote about us kind of always being in the corridor trying to leave the party. Yeah, yeah that this, yeah, that, that, that this is much more about like the Britain that we want Want to be and probably have always wanted to be rather than it being this kind of freak blip in the political landscape that will all get remedied and rectified yeah you know, and next i think time. there's um there's an idea or, or i think he was suggesting on the other side of the channel that it's a it's a 
obvious negotiating tactic to go in high, mm. negotiate and end up halfway down and get what you wanted in the first place. Yeah. This is not that. No. This is an absolute, it, I say, it's, it's a, the it's existential heart of what Brexit is and perhaps what Britain is. I yeah. think was his point. No, I think you're right. I think this, and you're right, this is the first that this has kind of been eloquently laid out because previously during things like the Florence address that Theresa May gave and all the WAB things, yeah. it was always about negging for a deal. Whereas now it's like, no, 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 no. The whole point was that we wanted to be this sovereign nation. Yeah. And if That's that involves WTO, in, yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is probably quite healthy, I think. Well, at least we know we know where we stand. Everyone, hopefully, now, this is what we're saying, that the penny's dropping across the, the other side of the channel. Everyone should now know, for good or ill, this is where we stand. Yeah. Well, there were so this many This is what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, and I think also for a really long time, Joe, and you could probably agree, they probably thought we weren't going to do it, that eventually the Remain campaign was going to get its act together and that they would have a second referendum and, and this would all be kind of calmed down but this is kind of like fine a kind of almost like a codified code yeah, of conduct no no, no they're, they're, yeah there were um, and I, I i know people in the commission in the council who are actually angry that they kind of try to tempt in and work with remainers so for kind of to hope in the hope that brexit could be reversed and when they should have actually probably focused on working with brexiteers and actually getting it over the line um, but there's also quite a nice message in david frost's uh, speech and kind of what he's been telling um, kind of bureaucrats over in Brussels is that the FTA, the free trade agreement, will be done as by two equal partners because um, we've seen a lot of kind of posturing from Brussels and from kind of uh, Leo Varadkar when he gave his BBC interview at the end of last month. He said it's a, it's 27 versus one. It's a massive single market versus a small economy in Britain. But actually, David Frost is kind of telling them that we are still the fifth largest economy in the country. We are a sovereign country. The we world. are an equal, an equal trading partner. Yes, yes, sorry, in the world. Um, and that is what we will be doing. Um, and we, that is how we will be negotiating on that basis. So we won't just be instantly accepting everything you, de everything you demand because you are seen as the biggest trade block in the world. I, I think what's also become apparent, um, it always has been, but, but even more deeply over the last few days, is that the, the, the EU has shown their true colours is a massive protectionist block. It's out to protect its own its own trade, simple as that. And, um, you know, but that's the true colours of the EU. It's a protectionist organisation. But it's also now got to act in the interests of its remaining 27 members, many of whom I think will not want the UK to be a competitor. On a WTO. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, super complicated. Yeah. So, we've seen that the EU have kind of yeah, uh, published this sort of updated negotiating playbook, if you will, hardening their lines on this. And then today, Joe in London, Stefan de Rink, who's an advisor to Michel Barnier, is giving a speech or a talk at the LSE. What do, I mean, one assumes he's going to have to kind of reiterate the EU's kind of hard line on this that it's, you know, dynamic alignment by any other word. Um, what are we expecting him to say? My, my presumption would be that, um, without having read his speech, um, that he will be kind of building on what Michel Barnier said, that look, and outlining, this is why you can't have a Canada-style deal. Because um, the EU have kind of also been passing along a new slide, which kind of shows the amount of business the um, UK does um, relative to how close it is to the EU's border. And it basically has kind of Chile, Singapore, Mexico, Japan, Canada, kind of is its most distant partners. It's got, so 9,000 kilometers away with only 2% of its business, uh, but it's got the UK as 12% of its business, but less than 500 kilometers away from its border. So he, I think that's what they'll be stressing is the reason that Brussels is asking for this kind of drastic level playing field, draconian in some people's eyes, is that we are only miles away from the channel. Seems a bit archaic as well. I mean, it, it's a very small world these days, isn't it? I mean, 
um, look at China. Most most of the world's goods seem to come out of China, and they're still quite a long way away from Paris. And uh, you know, proximity just shouldn't mean anything, should it? Quite. I'm reminded of the Robert Frost line: "Good fences make good neighbours." <laughs> As I draw this section of the podcast to a close, okay. thank you, chaps. <laughs> Um, should we talk about the real reason that we all voted for Brexit? And that was immigration. <laughs> did you see what I did there? These uh, yeah. seamless links. We've got. Yeah. It's only taken us three years to be able to link between segments. <laughs> um, okay, so this morning, Preeti Patel is absolutely everywhere discussing the policy paper that was published overnight by the government about the very long-awaited points-based immigration system um, that will enable uh, this great country to take back control over its borders um, and with the ultimate aim of reduce overall numbers of immigration in general. It makes pretty grim reading if you need low-skilled workers to run your business. I'll just take you through the points. So you need 70 points to be eligible to apply. Uh, So you get 10 points for speaking good English. If you have a job offer from an approved sponsor, you get 20 points. At the appropriate skill grade of an A-level or above, you get another 20 points. If if you're applying for a job that... uh, pays over £25,600 a year, you get another 20 points, or £20,000 and above for an occupation with staff shortages like nursing, uh, it's another 20 points. Uh, If you have a job offer at 20 grand, uh, if you've got a PhD relevant, you get 10 points. If it's a STEM subject, you get another 20. So it's all, you know, it's basically our way of attracting uh, engineers, it seems, and um, yeah, people with comparable levels of uh, comparable education levels of a level and above i was gonna say the optimistic way of looking at that according to pretty patel is it is a shift towards a quotes high wage high skill and high productivity future quite unfortunately the confederation of british industry don't agree saying that they will be left wondering how they will recruit people needed to run their businesses the british chamber of commerce boss adam marshall said companies will still need access to overseas workers at all skill levels kate nichols who is the chief executive of the uk hospitality uh, group said ruling out a temporary low-skilled route for migration in just 10 months will be disastrous for hospitality and british people uh, the government, the Home Office response to business who are concerned have said that they simply will need to adjust and that they'll either need, they'll need to fill their vacancies uh, with either unemployed UK citizens um, or automate. <laughs> You've got 11 months. <laughs> no, far less than, us, less than that. That kicks in at the end of this year. Um, what do we think, guys? This is the Take Back Control poster that got us all so excited in 2016. What do we rex? Uh It's a big, bold plan for sure mm. and it's still a little bit sketchy on some of the details in my view um, well yeah like how do you apply for these how does how does this application work how do you test yeah. levels of english loads of things like that what yeah. are the uh, how who will define these sectors that do that will be allowed uh, lower skilled workers they've identified nursing but one assumes there are others i mean yeah there's, there's a bit more there, there is, there's working a, there's out. A, i think there's a lot of work still to be done but what is also quite shocking uh, is that uh, the government has responded to a popular instruction which is something we're not used to uh, seeing and haven't seen for some years um where we go with this i don't know i mean uh, <laughs> let's look at the good the good is um I'm a very big fan of uh, encouraging anyone who uh, arrives in Britain to speak English because I genuinely don't think you can take part a full part in society if you can't converse. Well, they can't listen to this podcast. And they can't listen to this which podcast. Which should be part which of the citizen test. I think I should insist, actually. A full part of Can uh, you make uh, head life. or tail of what yeah. these idiots are talking about? Yes. Um, and, I, and I do I do like kind of the optimism of, of, of saying that we, we should shift from uh, bringing people over from the eastern reaches of the EU to 
pick turnips over in Lincolnshire, uh, to a to a different kind of economy, to a more modern type economy. Um, I don't think there's anything fantastically great about that in the first place. So, I, but where that shift happens and how that shift happens, I don't know. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting is this obviously being hailed as kind of the Australian system yeah. um, and also being hailed as a way to reduce immigration. But obviously, as we know, the Australian points-based immigration system has seen an increase in immigration to Australia rather than a decrease. So I think it'd be interesting to see if this actually, it's kind of, it's, you know, is I think there's almost like two competing objectives. Is it about changing the kind of person that immigrates to the UK, aka high salaried, highly educated well, yeah. people? Or is it about just reducing the number uh, all together because it feels like mate you know Aust- the australian system didn't achieve both so it's just interesting what what is palatable I, to the I electorate think, i think these i think it's a very high bar i have to say i mean i don't it, think it's, we... it's 25 grand or 25 and a half grand. it's, it's about than, three and a half grand higher than the average wage in britain quite and certainly the sort of starting salaries and, and I, I don't think I i've just, ever met anyone with a phd <laughs> yeah or you've got a phd <laughs> and, and i do think and this, this is maybe not relevant but it is interesting i, I think uh neither me nor pretty patel would be here under these under Why? these rules, because my grand would have got sent back on the next boat to Galway, and I suspect uh, British parents probably the same thing. So, um, Ugandan Asians, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, when when my grand was coming over, we Britain needed ha- um, low skilled industrial workers mm. to work in the mills, to work in, and we don't have those mills anymore. So there is has been a change in the landscape. Yeah, and. I, I I don't know. I mean, to me, it still seems like a very high bar, that. But. I agree with you. Um, but you're right. It, what is so novel about this is that this is very much what people have been saying for a very long time. I think yeah. immigration was a do- has always been a doorstep issue, hasn't it? And, yeah. it's, yeah, and yeah. you could argue you played a big part in the Brexit vote. So, yeah, we asked, they listened, and this is what we've come up with. Yeah. <laughs> It just it does feel uh, certainly a high standard and uh, perhaps a little draconian. Joe, has there been much response over there? To be fair, I, I think the kind of response is let's see if you can actually enforce it, and then we'll kind of listen. Because kind of there's always been doubts about kind of the British civil service, and I guess that people that have dealt with them from this side of the channel have always been kind of concerned that you don't have, like Britain doesn't have trade negotiators. Does it have the correct customs officials? Um, to manage kind of the borders? Does it have the right immigration kind of experts to be able to enforce this? Okay. Um, is, uh, is, is there going to be a department that can actually kind of go through the paperwork of people's applications and do it in a timely fashion so that businesses that are trying to sponsor their PhD, English-speaking... STEM kind of graduates. ...can actually yeah. come to the country in good time, yeah. yeah. Like one, of, one of, I guess, the tests will have to be um, how do we do temporary entries into the country as well? Because this is all about people coming to live. I think um, if you're from the EU, you get having... six months as long as you don't work, right? I think that's one of the stipulations. Yeah, exactly. Um, how, how are we going to afford, enforce people coming in under an EU kind of visa? And then they can go, oh, but I, um, I've i got a job, like um, not a job, so like under a settled status. Or I used to work here. Or I used to be here. I applied okay. to stay here. And there's, cause there's no real kind of proof of that because the only thing that you get for applying for settled status is an email. Um, like I think people have called uh, Guy Verhofstadt when he was the Brexit coordinator and the European Parliament's calling for some sort of ID card that kind of the civil liberties of the UK don't allow yeah, the, don't a physical, a a physical proof of yeah, um, carry a physical document around yeah. us all the time so how, how, how do we go about enforcing this new system, it's all well and good having it and bandying it around the world but when people start coming and just on holiday visas or whatever that's going to be and into staying, are we going to have, have kind of ample yeah, opportunity yeah. to remove the illegal illegally 
It feels like, the, uh, <laughs> feels like the, a lot of the details still need to be ironed out and a lot of the holes filled or, yeah. or identified, I guess. I am glad it's Preeti Patel who'll be in charge of that, though. She does strike me That's as a... a coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, you've been coughing I mean, a lot. Well, I'm living Brighton. We've all got it. Uh, it's quite a small room in here. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, no, I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's Preeti Patel in charge. I think she's um, a woman with a lot of heart. <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. Shall we talk about Andrew Sabisky? Yes, lovely fella. Lovely fella. So this is uh, Dominic Cummings, uh, recently appointed and recently depointed uh, <laughs> controversial aide. Um, Dominic Cummings, obviously, is the chief advisor to the prime minister, did this big recruitment drive yeah. for misfits and weirdos. Yeah. And um, you didn't, what, pass the threshold? Maybe your STEM <laughs> PhD didn't quite meet their standards. <laughs> No, I, what I thought was was hilarious was that um, yeah, Dominic Cummings advertised uh, very publicly for misfits and weirdos, and everyone was surprised when he got a misfit and weirdo. So this is a 27 year old guy. He did start as a contractor. He is he no longer works for Number Ten, um, but so he was appointed, and then a series of incredibly awful tweets um, and yeah. kind of uh, this Reddit thread that he was an admin of um, came to light. So this is and some so, of it on Cummings' own blog. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, really, you know, kind of offensive comments about uh, women's sport and the Paralympics um, and also the female candidates in the Labour it, it leadership everything. contest. It was the gold yeah. standard of racism, misogyny, eugenics. Uh, well, this is it. And then the most... Everything of, hateful in the world. And probably right what there. was most terrifying was the yeah, his commitment to like eugenics and the superiority of white people over black people. Um, so he... Yeah, so first he got the job without adequate screening and it turns out this morning he sat in on a series of um, quite high-profile meetings. Um... I mean, what do we think, chaps? I mean, is this dom- I mean, is this? Do we chalk this up as just kind of a little bit of an an error? Uh, no, we we talked about this yesterday. That we did. The the uh, one of the most damning things is the way the uh, number ten press office and Boris has handled this. Mm. You need to be right out front and centre, saying we dropped the ball on this one. We have no idea who this guy is, and we loathe everything he's said and everything he stands for. And they haven't said that yet. No, they've. I mean, this is it. It feels like that they've got rid of him. More, more as a result of the backlash yeah, rather than because absolutely. of what he was saying to start with, um, which is uh, They brought him really in as a worrying. super forecaster. Yeah, we should hire one of those. In forecast this balls up, though. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Could have seen that one coming, yeah. surely. <laughs> Mr. Superforecaster. Come anyway. on, Mr. Sibisky. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's, his yeah. views were just... I mean, they, you read them and your jaw just drops on the floor. You know, it's a kind of... It's proper, full-on... Nazi stuff. Nazi In fact, stuff, I was saying, yeah. you know, Goebbels would have been saying, oh, blimey, yeah. that's a bit strong. You might want to turn that down a bit. Well, quite. <laughs> I mean, so this, he was calling for um, uh, com- uh, compulsory birth control to stop yeah. Yeah. Uh, working class. An underclass. Class and, yeah, more to stop sort of uh, teenage unwanted pregnancies, yeah. teenage pregnancies, yeah. working class women having children, which creates this underclass. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a truly, it's a mad and and highly racist theory that's been also... Oh, which, uh, eugenics was part of the, of the of Nazi, the Nazi uh, ideology. The final solution. I, you know, everything about Hitler was eugenics. Yeah, so you absolutely. think, are they not over in number 10, like having a quick <laughs> Google before they hire these people and give them access to sort of classified meetings? It is incredible. It is. And you're right, and the, dis- and the response by number 10 has been so disappointing. Yeah. And also, the, of course, uh, according to him... Um, Who, Mr. Sabis? Yeah, the whole reason is uh, the media and our quotes hysteria about his <laughs> old stuff online. Oh, he's met you then. We're just getting hysterical, that's all. We you are, you're you know. known for your hysteria, <laughs> aren't you? you know, you're yeah. hand-wringing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, badly handled, bad appointment. 
What do you think, Joe? I was about to kind of ask, does this kind of, is this maybe the start of the end for Dominic Cummings? Because oh, it's obviously his so. pet project. Well, and it's... you're getting like, you're getting backlash. Was it quasi Quartan um, went on the, he was the minister yeah, kind he, of he, he, he the media took a flat yesterday morning, for it. And he, 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 just, he described it as racist, offensive and objectionable and said that number 10 really has to look at its recruitment policy. Exactly. I thought quasi Quanta did a great job yesterday, actually, of, yeah, kind of... In very dis- difficult circumstances. Yeah, really difficult circumstances, yeah, yeah, yeah. but just didn't even try to apologise for it. And I think he's completely right. Um, revolting. So I wonder which, who the next misfit or weirdo will be. Well, I think your point about Cummings is uh, really valid. It's... Um, there's a... There's a there's a certain horrible fear, sort of power behind the throne thing going yeah. on there. He's just an unelected uh, weirdo and misfit as far yeah. as the, I think the British public is concerned. Yeah. And Boris might be enthralled to him because he's a super forecaster. But he doesn't get... Um, when, when in the in an election campaign, when all bets are off and gloves are off, maybe somebody like Cummings is useful mm. for just seeing how to get to the jugular of the other party and really go for it. But once you're in power... You need to then bring back human empathy and Absolutely. stuff like that into politics. And Cummings just doesn't get that. Yeah, it feels it's like just a game of his numbers. Reach has just expands yeah. so much. Like he's so yeah, you're right. Super good at sort of three word campaigns yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the Machiavellian data stuff. Fine, but yeah, putting him in charge of uh, senior advisors who are gonna who yeah. are responsible for looking after this entire country and our families, etc. I think is appalling. I hope it's the beginning of the end. Do you know this kid also dressed the same as Dom Cummings? He had the same low slung <laughs> jeans and beanie hat, which I find particularly of the weird, of the weirdos and the misfits. I just think no woman in no woman would be allowed in the public eye to turn up with her bottom cheeks hanging out of her jeans or sort of two scarves on. The double standard is revolting. Yep, absolutely. But we can talk about that on the we feminist can, podcast that we're going to start, babe. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Did anyone enjoy the Brits last night, Paul? I know you did. I uh, always loved the Brits, and um, particularly Dave the Rapper. Dave and, the Rapper. Um, I think we could just call him Dave, you know. It's no. like calling you Paul the Journalist. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, I'm going to insist on it from now Paul on. Or Paul the Pain. <laughs> um, so Dave, who is an incredible British artist, a grime artist, who won Album of the Year for Psychodrama, which is this kind of polemic about mental health, gang violence, uh, the life of um, urban British men. It is a really incredible listen, and I would encourage you to do it on your drive home tonight, darling. Unfortunately, the- my Spotify is uh, no... Sort of nose to tail '90s rap at the moment because '90s rap. My daughter's discovered, yeah. Who she discovered? So, well, it keeps saying. Spotify keeps saying, "Would you like to listen to more NWA?" <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I'd like to put ACDC back on. Please. No, we're not listening. To I would maybe tonight just um, queue up uh, Psychodrama because it's really fabulous. Anyway, so he did this freestyle performance yep. that was pretty punchy. So he talked about Meghan Markle. He talked about the Windrush generation. He talked about the victims of the Grenfell uh, fire not having housing, and he called Boris Johnson a racist, um, which has been which has kind of made headlines this morning. Uh, Preeti Patel, who we've been talking about earlier, sort of obviously defended the Prime Minister, saying that he's not a racist and that Dave the Rapper, to cause your to coin your phrase, um, hasn't met Boris, so wouldn't know. Uh, whereas Baroness Saida Wazi, who we know has been campaigning about kind of um, Islamophobia in the Tory party for years and years and years, um, has defended Dave and said that it was a necessary interve- intervention and a wake-up call in the most provocative way. So I wonder, Paul, do you think that this kind of like politics has a place in the... Um, in the Brits, and do you think there's kind of, do you think this kind of thing bothers number 10? Like, do you think Boris Johnson kind of wakes up and he's like, oh God, Stormzy and Dave again, uh, accusing me <laughs> of being, you know, of, of being racist. And with these huge audiences and this huge reach, I just wonder, do you think that that, that there's kind of a, a bullet um, point on the meeting agenda today to I, discuss? I think, well, obviously, as, a, as an aficionado of British crime myself, 
As um, of this morning, I think it's fair to say you are. Yeah. <laughs> I've been quoting lyrics. Uh, I, I think uh, two things. One, if if we didn't wake up the morning after the Brits with some outrage splashed across the front pages, mm. I'd be very disappointed. It has been a bit quiet in the last few years. Yeah, it's been boring. It's because so it's James Corden nice, who used to present yeah. it right. And he's so it's so nice, boring. nice to see. And, and I think it's absolutely the job of people like Dave, mm-hmm. brackets, the rapper, brackets, uh, <laughs> the man. To, to, to speak for a generation and outrage. Uh, mm. People like me, and yes. I think job done, mate. Well done. Oh, fab! You know, I, it would be. I'd be very disappointed if he, uh, if uh, he's about twenty-one, I think. Dave, yeah, is he? young man. Um, if he sort of, if he wasn't a, a radical, if he wasn't angry, and if he wasn't, yeah, you know, didn't want change, um, something would have been terribly wrong. If he espoused the same views as me right now, crime would be really boring. That, you know, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Or crime would be very boring. Um, I think it's great. And I and I love that you spoke about things like Windrush and reparations. Like these are huge debates that maybe you would think not all young people are massively engaged with, but by seeing Absolutely, their kind yeah. of musical hero talking about it, it might yeah. encourage them to have a Google and to form an opinion. There's been in the last you know few years really a lot of um a lot of what we call gammons have said yeah, uh sorry, the, <laughs> the the uh, the politicization or lack of politicization of of music is a bit of a damning uh, uh, you know indictment yeah. on this generation. Now, um, whatever you think about uh, Boris being a racist or not a racist, uh, the fact that this guy is is political takes an interest yeah. and and wears his heart on his sleeve. It, I think in terms of in terms of music, I love it. I think it's absolutely what it yeah. should be about. And in terms of you know the the greater. The greater good, the greater Discourse. getting people interested in politics, yeah, young people really interested in politics, is really important. It so reminds well me a bit of again, like the Smiths under Thatcher, and kind of how that, like you know, how they there are hundreds of albums. You know, the Smiths kind of owe Margaret Thatcher for <laughs> loads well, of their material. About story? When you refuse to support them? Oh yeah. When, no, no. Tell the, tell the po- that was just to me. Tell <laughs> no, the listeners. No. No. Um, oh, yeah, I was in a band and uh, we got offered a, um, a support with the Smiths, mm. and uh, they were very. Uh, Brand new band, no one did really. I think the first single, Hand in Glove, had just come out. Right. Um, we were in a town called Blackburn and they were in Manchester and we said, nah, they support us or it's not happening. I think you called them man, Mank. Uh, yeah. Beep. I did. Uh, yeah, we swore. <laughs> we're not bad. supporting some Manchester. Mm-mm. Yeah. Because of W. Uh, no, the the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, look, at, well, Morris is having a pretty tough time. He got over it somehow. Uh, yeah, some he got reality. over it. He just yeah. lives as a sort of hermit now, doesn't he, in LA and yeah. says outrageous things. Whereas I live you... as a hermit in Brighton. Yeah. Outrageous <laughs> things. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Art imitating life. Um, okay, yeah, I think I'm with you. I thought it was great. And uh, to anyone that hasn't listened to Dave's album, might I encourage you to download it because it is incredible. He's also in Top Boy. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I, I have seen Top Boy. I've I didn't realise it was him. Yeah, he's yeah. in the th- in the third series. He yeah. plays a, a naughty character yeah. with a gammy eye. Also, I learned what a ping ting was today. And what is that, darling? Uh, I believe it's you. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful an lady. A <laughs> beautiful lady. An attractive lady is what, is what it said online. And your delivery is so natural as well. <laughs> I think it's Thank it. You. It just rolls <laughs> off your rolls off your tongue. I'm the next situation of British crime. <laughs> oh my god, that's my, that's my next well, project. I feel like that might be where it's where Pretty Patel would like it to go. Um, this has been a fun one. Do we have anything else we'd like to add for the benefit of the tape before we disappear? Mixtape. Or uh, otherwise. Uh, what's, uh, what's coming up? Um, there's uh, a big fallout over the missing two and a half billion quid in the um, EU budget, right? Come in the next few days. Is that the thing we're all looking um, forward to? Tomorrow. Yep. So tomorrow, um, EU leaders travel to Brussels and they're having, it's a special European Council summit um, to sort out the budget. And as you said, there's a, it's about over the, it's a seven year budget they're planning for. 
that's due for 21, uh, 2021 to 2027. Um, and the estimated kind of figure in that is that there's going to be a 75 billion euro black hole left by Britain and Brexit. Oh, well, about that. As we said in the last, in the last few weeks, like kind of France wants to increase spending. Um, other countries, the Commission wants to increase spending. The Parliament wants to increase spending. But then you have the more sensible kind of soldiers in the EU's ranks yeah. saying, actually, come on, chaps. Um, it's probably time to rein in the purse strings because um, we don't really have the money to spend. Eek. Um, but one one kind of a, a funny story I've heard, there's kind of predictions and diplomats are kind of worried about their weekend plans. Yeah. Um, because this this summit is literally going to be a kind of a lock-in where EU leaders will literally sit down at kind of maybe two or three o'clock um, in Brussels tomorrow and they might not leave until the early hours of Saturday morning Sounds like you on a um, Saturday. When they decide that... <laughs> He's always worried about the plans. Yeah, when they when they decide that they can't come to an agreement and they have to, they have to. So they have to stay the there heart. until there is an agreement of some form. Well, it? If if they did if they did that, they wouldn't ever leave the room. Um, ah, okay. I think what's going to happen is they they will kind of come up with some ideas, a mini agreement, maybe maybe some kind of negotiating boxes that they're called where they kind of narrow down where they need to kind of change the sums and the figures a bit for their budget. Um, but that kind of, we think that a wrap up on Saturday morning. Some people think it could go to Sunday, Sunday morning and even Monday morning. Oh, they're not going to like that, um, are they? But the, the, no, the most likely, um, the most likely uh, kind of shutdown is when the coffees go cold and the croissants are stale, they're shut down um, to leave you with a grime reference. Um, <laughs> I got it, obviously, John. And, good. Um, and they will... They will then they will then come back in a few weeks' uh, time again in March and have another go at it. Right, so fun, a fun weekend. A fun weekend for you. For, We're just for gonna, you as well, absolutely. Yeah, we'll just we'll be at a grime rave. Um, Joe, it's been an honour and a privilege, as always, to chat to you. Absolutely. Do Thanks enjoy do enjoy that long weekend. We'll be thinking of you. I can't wait to hear about the hole in the <laughs> budget. Sorry. Uh, and Paul, I will see you same time, same place next same week. Same place. Ta-ra, ta-ra. Ta-ra. Thank you, chaps. Bye bye. Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit: The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying the countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying the countdown, you can also leave us a review.